Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, there you have uh, a film clip that really it's, it's part of the Northside membership class that we run. It's, it's prerequisite viewing. If you don't know what that film is, it's the film What About Bob? And we were watching Bob Wiley. Uh, Bob is an interesting character in the film. He's a multiphobic personality, which means he's, he's absolutely consumed by multiple fears in his life. In fact, uh, life locks him up. He just lives in a room and he, he can't get out of there. And so in meeting Dr. Uh, Dr. Leo Marvin, he is set free through this wonderful process called Baby Steps. Now, I can relate to Bob. I really can. Not, not, as, not as, as, as a, a totally consumed multiphobic personality, but I don't know about you. I've had my moments in life where life just locks me up. Have you? There's moments where there's, there's stuff ahead of you. There's fears, there's anxieties, there's uncertainties, often exciting uncertainties that, that just freeze us up and... What's fascinating is when you look sociologically at the history of the passage that we've just read from, um, you, you'll see some remarkable things happen from some pretty unremarkable statements. Follow me. And it's that statement that changed the world. Like you, you see it all throughout Christianity. Rodney Stark, a, a historian on the rise of Christianity, uh, talks about the way in the first century that whilst all the Romans were running out of the city, all of the Christians were running back in to help people and died in order to help them. Like they lived these big lives. There's this guy Latimer in the Protestant Reformation in England and he and his friend Ridley are being burnt at the stake. And as they're being burnt at the stake, he says, play the man, Master Ridley. For on this day, we shall light a candle by God's grace that will never be put out. (laughs) How do you live a life like that? I, I don't know. Every time I read the Bible and I see Christians in history, you see anyone that gets Christianity lives a big life. We see lives like that. And remember, you and I, we, we run into this mistake when we see lives like that because we see these guys at the stake and we have this mistaken thinking that when we see people like that, that this big faith is, is either a trick or a talent. Remember? We think that, that oh, look, the faith was a placebo, that, that there's really no God and it allowed them to, to do that and live that big life. Or, or that it's a, a talent, that, that Latimer would have lived that life whether he was a Christian or not. But here's my thesis. Anyone who gets Christianity lives a big life. And yet when I look at my own life and wonder how big of a life I'm living, I have to ask myself this question. If I'm not living a big life, could it be that I don't really get Christianity? Because Christianity sounds wonderfully simple, but it's quite profound and powerful. You see, the simple message of Christianity is regardless of what you believe, regardless of how you behave, Jesus calls you to follow him. Follow me, says Jesus. You you know what he's saying? He's saying, baby steps, baby steps. (laughs) And part of the problem is that as our Christian life goes on, and maybe some of you guys have experienced this, seen this, maybe you are experiencing this, somewhere along the the way, follow me gets confused with Jesus says. (laughs) We think Christianity is Jesus says, be nice. Jesus says, hold your tongue. Jesus says, turn up to church. Jesus says, give your money. And part of the tragedy of that is then we, we totally miss the beautiful and the powerful dynamic that it is in this statement, follow me. 
Uh, if you want to see the contrast of what that looks like, if you want to know if you've missed that, just hang out for about 30 seconds with anyone who's just become a Christian. Have you ever had that opportunity? I, I, I recall a couple of, of months back, last year, with, with one of our, our young adult ladies who'd become a Christian, and she was so upset that, that none of the young adults wanted to turn up to dinner. And like in my mind as the pastor, I'm going, well, that's what happens on the lower North Shore. You know, we're, we're busy and, and look, yeah, I can understand why people might not turn up. They think it's something on the roster or something that we've got to do. And when I talk to her, she says, don't they get it? I never had this. I never had friends like this. I, I never had this big life. I never had this otherworldliness to my life until I found Jesus and I found this church. Maybe we understand Christianity, but we, we don't get Christianity. And so I don't want us to, to miss the point of all that I want to make today. If there's anything, if you're about to fall asleep and doze off because it was a big night, don't miss this. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to make bad people nice. He came to make dead people alive. <laughs> Spiritually dead and ultimately physically dead. That's what happens in Christianity. And, and it's like, a, it's like a, a movie that I watched during the holidays, The Greatest Showman. There were some lyrics there in, in that movie, the musical movie, if you haven't seen it yet. The lyrics go like this. You stumble through your days, got your head hung low, your sky's a shade of grey. Like a zombie in a maze, you're asleep inside, but you can shake awake because you're just a dead man walking, thinking that's your only option, but you can flip the switch and brighten up your darkest day. The sun is up and the colour's blinding. Take the world and redefine it. Leave behind your narrow mind. You'll never be the same. Come alive. Come alive. Go and light your light. Let it burn so bright. Come alive. <laughs> Isn't that Christianity? <laughs> How do we forget that? You know, I think most of, most of us come to church today, you know, what, what the main thing that probably 80% of us are thinking about as we're driving along to church today is, oh my goodness, the rain. <laughs> you know, the crazy thing too is, like that's the thing that most of the churches around the country have been praying for for about the last three years, right? <laughs> Two weeks of it, we're over it. Come alive. Your princes, your princesses, you've been called by the great God to be involved in the unworlding of the world, or the unfolding of the kingdom of God, which is pouring out goodness and mercy and righteousness and justice in its little itty bitty forms until one day there will be no more pain and no more tears and no more crying. But you didn't wake up this morning thinking like that. Come alive. That's what's hit me in all of this process because, you know, we've been, we've been away on holidays and we've been in an interesting period. If you've just joined us, we're, we've adopted a church. We're now one church in two locations. And I've been saying to the ministry team this week that, you know what, I'm, I'm over strategies. I love strategies and I won't give them up. <laughs> but I'm just over strategizing. You know, I, I, when I turn up to church, I... I want to turn up to church to encounter Jesus. Follow him. I think if God's going to do anything amazing through us and then ultimately the church because he's done it through us and we are the church, then it's going to happen because you and I follow him, not because the ministry team came up with a good strategy. So we see this in Matthew's Gospel, 
And we see it, this is Christianity first principles broken down. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. That sounds like a pretty everyday sort of statement. Other than the fact you've got to understand that Jews, like Jesus, Jesus was a Jew, hated the Jewish tax collectors. Because the tax collectors, they were skimming 10% of everyone's grain and 20% of your wine and your fruit as taxes to the oppressing Roman Empire. And what made it even worse and dirtier is that there, the tax collectors were Jews themselves. On top of that, can you believe this? This is going to be revelation for you this morning. This was the birth of of multi-level marketing. Because the tax collectors then would also subcontract out other people to go and collect taxes in other regions that they couldn't get to, and they would pass those taxes back and then skim a little bit on the side for multi-level marketing right there. Matthew 9, verse 9, you can tell someone that when they call you up to buy some weird milkshake this week. (laughs) And so it's to these people that the Jews can't stand and the Jews hate. It's to these people that Jesus comes up to, sees him on the side of the road. And what does he say to him? He he says not, oh, what are you doing? He he doesn't say, oh, your mama would be so proud of you. (laughs) You should be ashamed of yourself. No, he turns up to him and he says, Matthew, follow me. Which, if we pause for a sec, is a great lesson for all of us Christians in terms of the type of people that Jesus was seeking and hanging out with. The people that society didn't like were the people that Jesus liked. And he says, follow me. And Matthew, in that moment, couldn't do much else. He's in the middle of his tax collection, multi-level marketing business. In the middle of his tax collection, he couldn't do much, but he could do this. Baby step towards Jesus. Baby step towards the rest of the countryside. Baby step towards acceptance with the disciples. Baby step to learning what Jesus is saying to And can you see what happens? Like Matthew baby steps. And, and now, now the guy is now the guy's a New York Times best-selling author. He's, Matthew sold millions of copies of his part of the book, right? In the future that he had. What have you ever done? Because the, the book that we just read from and that the billions of people around the world read Matthew's words because he was willing to take a baby step towards Jesus, which had me thinking when we talk about big lives that I think most big lives always begin with a baby step. In fact, anyone who's been successful, you would know if you've been blessed to be successful that, that most big lives are actually a function of baby steps of baby stepping into the basics. And once you've got the basics, it's the next baby step and the next baby step. This was a guy that because of his baby step changed the world. That's what Christianity is, the simplicity of it. Come alive. But it's like we lose that somewhere along the way, isn't it? We forget that and we just get into the process of doing what we've got to do. And as a result, like the, the wonder and the beauty and the, the awe and, and, and the excitement of all that we're doing somehow gets a little bit lost. So this morning I wanted us to rediscover that in this new series about following Jesus. Could we rediscover the excitement of what it means to follow him? And so we're going to have a look at, at what that's all about this morning. And I, I wonder if, if rediscovering it was, was really as simple as, as changing our perspective on Christianity. And maybe we've thought we've had the right perspective and, and maybe that right perspective has been the wrong perspective. I'll tell you what I mean. Like this, this holidays, I, I went for my first golf lesson. 
Now, I'm just giving you the warning up front. I'm obsessing with it a little bit at the moment, so it's probably not the first golf analogy that you're going to get in the next six months. But, <laughs> but I went for my first golf lesson, and, and I went there thinking I was pretty crash hard. I had my brother's clubs. I looked pretty good. I even had the right gear, the right hat. And uh, there was a phrase from, from that lesson that I went into that, that hasn't left me. Uh, the, the instructor said, as I went in there, and, and he hooks me up to all sorts of machines, like there's video cameras and there's pressure points on my feet, and it's not the golf I remember when I was hacking around with Dad. And, and I said, what is all this sort of stuff for? And he's showing me his swing with plane angles and the whole lot. And, and he said, it, said it's because of this. He said, he said, golf is the worst sport in the world to self-diagnose. It's the worst sport in the world to self-diagnose. In other words, you, you never get good at golf if you just stay in your own head and try and come up with your own solutions. That's why he needed the videos and to show me that my swing plane was off and all the rest of it. And, and so here's, here's what it all means this morning. You know, I, I think Christianity is the worst religion in the world to self-diagnose. What, why else do we turn up? Why else do we do connect group? Why else do we share with one another? Why else do we just, what do you mean by this? Huh? Why else do we wrestle this out? In, yeah, we can, <laughs> this is what I mean. I thought I was good at golf until I saw what all the numbers did in that monitor. And I can tell you, I'm hopeless. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's going to be a long way to go or a lot of money until I get good. <laughs> But I thought I was good, just in the same way that we go, you know, no, Sam, Sam, I've heard tax collectors, yes, I know they didn't hate them. I've been doing Christianity for years. Have you ever gotten to the hitting bay? Ever had a look? Here's a couple of things that I want us to just, I want to point out just so we can be thinking through in terms of our paradigms of our, our swing plane when it comes to Christianity. Um, here's the first one. Uh, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Here's what this means. When, look at this. As simple as this. Follow me. It means when you first encounter Christianity, you first encounter a person, not a set of principles. There's a radically different way of looking at that because, you know, time and time again, I'll get people that are checking out Christianity and you might be one of them here today. There's always someone in this place and they'll ask all that, all sorts of questions like, hey, pastor, you know, what, what's the church's view on marriage and what's the church's view on sin and what's the church's view on relationships? And because what they're really asking is, hey, I, I want you to sum it all up for me because I really want to work out if I'm wondering, is, will Christianity fit me? Will it fit my life? Because there's, there's a whole heap of things that I like to do and hopefully the list of those things is not on the list that you just said, Pastor. <laughs> right? And, and then you hit the single-mindedness and, and dare I say the self-centeredness of Jesus when you read the New Testament where he is constantly pushing people to say, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? I, I'm, I know about you, but who do you say I am because when you encounter Christianity, follow me means you encounter a person, not principles. That's a radically different way of looking at, at a religion because Jesus doesn't come to you and say, you know, come follow these facts, come follow these tenets, come follow these principles. He doesn't. He says, come follow me, which means you have to work out the person behind Christianity if you're going to get it. Make sense? So you encounter a person, not principles. And that means here too when we see in verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples 
And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? In bracket, all the people we don't like. (laughs) And it's a wonderful picture for us because what that says to us is this, that not having it all together in your life is not a barrier to belief in Jesus or Christianity. It's a prerequisite. Not having this, and so appropriate for our lower North Shore culture, where let's be real, we, we wear the masks, we wear the clothes, we spend so much of our energies trying to look like we have it together. And the great grace of all of this is that Jesus says, just let it all hang out. <laughs> he invites people who know that they're not who they ought to be, and in fact, he invites people who are probably aren't even willing to go where he wants to go. And he changes them. What about that verse with Nathaniel? And he's sarcastic and he says, Nazareth, anything good come from there? And Jesus says, Sonny Jim, you, you, think, you think that, that, that I'm special because I did a little magic trick with a fig tree? You hang out with me and wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. When I'm through with you, you you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so what that, what that means for you this morning, particularly if you're a person who's on the fringes of, fringes of Christianity, you know what, how you get into Christianity? Baby step. Baby step. You don't, you don't have to have big faith, good life, together life. The prerequisite is there to following him. By the way, for the rest of us, <laughs> um, this also shows us how we know if we haven't got Christianity. You want to know how to tell if you haven't got Christianity? You think you've got Christianity. Let that sit with you. All right. <laughs> this, one's, this one's my favourite. If it's an invitation to follow me, then following, following forces you to focus yourself on where you are rather, rather than where you would like to be. It forces you to focus on where you are rather than where you'd like to be. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy that suffers from OCD, obsessive comparison disorder. I'm constantly comparing myself to everyone else. Another way to put it is uh, when I was in military cadets, um, we used to have to march 20 to 25 kilometres a day with blisters in the rain, 30 kilometre backpacks. And uh, it was absolute torture at times trying to do that. But the one way that we got through it is that my platoon sergeant said to me in the early days, just focus on the buckle of the backpack of the guy who's marching in front of you. And so for literally for 15 kilometres, I wouldn't wonder where we're going, where we're headed, how far we've got to go. I I would just literally stare at that buckle bob up and down and up and down and up and down. And I can imagine that for for many of us, there are things that we face or there are uncertainties uncertainties that we have where we're like, I'm not sure if God's going to pull me through all of this. And he says in that way, use the metaphor how you might, you know, imagine Jesus with the, with the bobbing up and down of his tunic. But, but for many people, focusing that singularly on Jesus in that moment is the only way that you ever got through, right? So following focus forces you to focus on where you are rather than where everyone else is. And even better too, if you're focusing on where you're at, you're not focusing on where everyone else is at and you don't become cranky and judgmental. But here's the ultimate question at the end of the day. I think what, what all of us are, are wondering when we see that word follow for Jesus is this, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I'm sure that's the question that many of you have asked yourself when you've been in a tough moment. 
It's been really hard. When you've prayed your daylights out and, and, and it's not turning out the way that you would like it. Some of you are asking that question because a friend's invited you this morning and you're thinking, what, what sort of stuff do I have to give up? You know, if you're thinking that way, you're like, you're like a six-year-old in a mud puddle. And the parent comes to them and they're playing away in the mud puddle and the parent says to them, oh, come on, um, we're, we're going to go head to the beach. And, 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 and you say, well, what's, what's, a, what's a beach? What's an ocean? Oh, well, it's, it's a place with lots of water. Oh, well, it's so like a big mud puddle then, right? Yeah, well, it's sort of like a mud puddle, but it's way better. Well, if it's like a mud puddle, I'm happy with my mud puddle. Can you see the problem there? It's a, it's a total failure in the trajectory of the imagination. Or, I, you know what, I've come to know this. It couldn't possibly be better than this. You know, and as a pastor and as a minister, time after time after time, when people come up to this call of Jesus to follow him and it pulls them outside their comfort zone, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the tragedy of people being willing to settle for their mud puddle. You know, the only way that you break someone out of that is you say, come, just, just come and see Come and follow. Come, come and have a look. Maybe that's it for some of you today, now, this morning. You don't know Jesus yet. You're not sure if you want to give up what, what, what you're doing here. Just, just come and see. And so it begs a question for us all this morning. What is the one baby step? Baby stepping. Baby stepping out the church. Baby stepping into my car. Baby stepping into my life. <laughs> What's the one baby step that you can take towards Jesus this week? Because that's how we get big lives. That's how everyone else before us has gotten big lives. You know, there are people here this morning that they hear that and they hear this and they say, Sam, you know what, like with what I'm facing, baby stepping, baby schmepping. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing. It's just... I'm, I'm, I'm up against it. And, and I, I leave you with this this morning. There was a, a wonderful um, fairy tale written by George MacDonald called The Princess and the Goblin. It was made into a little cartoon. He was a Christian. And it's about the little princess and all the goblins want to marry her off to the chief king goblin. And yet a fairy godmother turns up, as all good fairy godmothers do in fairy tales. And so whenever she was scared, the fairy godmother said, look, you know, I'm going to give you this. And the, the fairy godmother gives... The princess, this, this magical yarn, like a string that was invisible to everyone else and almost to the princess in this ring. And she said, whenever you're in danger, just thread the ring through this yarn and begin to follow it and I'll be at the other end. So one night she hears the goblins that are rumbling and so the princess awakes from a pillow and grabs the yarn and grabs the ring and she attaches it and instead of taking her safely up to the attic where grandma is, it takes her out the front door and it takes her closer and closer, not away from, but towards the goblins. And she goes to turn back and the magic yarn disappears because you can only follow it forward. And so it takes her further and further towards the goblin, even into the goblin cave, and she's terrified. And there she finds her friend, Curdie, who had been lost. She didn't know where he was. And he said, how did you find me? And she said, I just followed the yarn. And then, then that was, he thought, well, we're saved now. Keep following it. And instead of taking them out of the cave, it takes them deeper and deeper. He says, not that way. It's dangerous. There's no way out. And she says, but I have to follow it. And so they follow it deeper and deeper until eventually they're, they're taken out and they're, they're safely in the arms of of the fairy godmother again. <laughs> What's the point of all of this? For some of you, following Jesus is leading you into paths that look downright destructive and suicidal. 
They look ridiculous. How, how can this choice to, to follow Jesus um, lead to anything good out of this? And yet we go read through the scriptures and we see baby steps to earth, baby steps to Gethsemane, baby step into Calvary, baby step into the cross. You know, I can't help but think in that moment that, that in that metaphor, you know, Jesus, Jesus was just had the magic ring and the yarn and he was just following it forward and forward into death and destruction. And I think part of the reason why we don't get Christianity is we know what the answer is. And it's become sane and normal to us all. But in the midst of following that into that death and destruction, there was life on the other side of all of that. Jesus followed. Jesus followed into what looked like destruction and there was life and there was healing and there was redemption. You follow him and you'll find that too. And so for each and every one of us, all I know to be true if we look back at the past of what the Bible says is that we become people of greatness, of bigness, if we just start baby stepping. <laughs> baby stepping out the door. Baby step into sacrifice. Baby step into service. Baby stepping into community. <laughs> baby stepping into serving others. You get the point. May you begin baby stepping this week. And we leave the rest to God that he might mould us all into people of greatness. Let's pray. Father, the work to be done now is so far beyond my hands and my control and power. Lord, I pray over every person in this place that as they leave these doors, there be a reawakening into the wonder and the greatness and the supernatural reality of all that we are living right here in this moment. Father, I pray that we would come alive, that our eyes would be open to the spiritual reality of, of what we're truly dealing with as followers of you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for anyone who is in the midst of a situation this week that they feel a health situation, a business situation, a relational situation that they feel is um, doomed for destruction or that there is no way out, that they would trust, Lord, that you are in the midst of that, that, Lord Jesus, you will guide them through that if they just follow you. And so, Lord, for each and every one of us, awaken us in a new way, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.